You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. One of several odd things about education today is the way that some parents and even educators view technology. It's all around us. It's how we work, how we communicate, how we learn. Yet integrating it into education has often been met with resistance. But the success stories are all around us, including right here in Napa County. In Napa County, we've sought to make digital innovation part of learning from preschool to high school and even for families. To help lead this effort and really to lead many of the initiatives here in Napa County has been our county superintendent of schools, Barbara Nemko, who joins us here at NapaBroadcasting.com. Barbara, thanks for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you here. Is there still resistance out there? Are there still pockets out there of resistance to really the appreciation, the value of technology and education at every level? I think the pockets are getting smaller. There are still some, but the biggest resistance I think comes in an area that we're having the most success, which is at the preschool level. And talk a little bit about where we've seen that success. I mean, certainly a lot's been written about what's going on in Calistoga, for example. But the Calistoga project was just our original pilot. And what it did, even though it was a little four-week summer boot camp for kids who were English learners who had never been to preschool and were going to be attending kindergarten. And when we introduced iPads, at that time, remember, it was 2011, and the iPad wasn't invented until 2010, although it seems like it's been around forever. Uh, The kindergarten teachers were just appalled and thought, what on earth were technology people telling them about how to treat kindergarten kids? And then within a day or two of watching how engaged the students were, they came on board absolutely 100% and became the biggest advocates. They now go out out and speak at conferences because they are so in favor of what technology can do. And so that's been spread throughout the county in almost all the districts at some level or other. And our success has been phenomenal. We had 250% growth and our English learners grew the fastest of all. And what was it that was inherent in the technology? What did the iPads do that really created this success? Well, if you're reading a book, that's interesting. But if you're reading a book and you can make things happen in the book, if you can tap the picture of a cow and the cow moves, then maybe he stamps his feet and shakes his head. That's pretty exciting if you're three or four or five years old. If there's also music and everything is animated, then you want to hear this again and again because it's fun, but particularly because you are in charge. When you're three, four, five, you're not in charge of a whole lot. People tell you what to do all day. They pick out the books to read to you. And here you can do things again and again, or you can go more quickly, and you can read everything in English or Spanish. As you're hearing the book read to you, the word being spoken is highlighted in the color red. So your eye and your ear make that correspondence between the written word and the spoken word. 
And that in itself is phenomenal. Have there been studies done, brain research studies or even functional MRIs that really give us some kind of clue, some kind of insight into how this is working? That's interesting. I don't know. It would make sense that there should have been or and maybe they're ongoing or at least we could reach out and suggest that that get done. But what we've seen in terms of the results has been incredible. Um, I said 250% increase, but also we were able to get most of the kids who were not native English speakers to the five-year-old and six-year-old level. So when we talk about the achievement gap, that starts when kids come to school. It's already there. School doesn't create it. Kids come with a two-year gap by the time they enter kindergarten. We're able to close that gap before they get to kindergarten. And you can't ask for more than that because then when they get to school and they can follow what's going on and they're excited about it, then they don't develop that learned helplessness of, oh my God, school is a place where I fail all the time. What becomes the role of the teacher, the facilitator in enabling this process to work? The teacher gets to look at the data all the time. And when you look at the data, you see who's struggling with the concept and who's mastered it. Then you can differentiate the curriculum. I think back to when I taught. I had kids on all different levels, as every teacher always will. But for me to try to differentiate meant I would have to go home and figure out 30 different lessons in different books on different pages. That's overwhelming for a teacher. Today, with technology, you can see at a glance, you don't have to give, you don't have to develop a pretest or an assessment, the technology has that ready. And then a minute later, you can see who did well and who didn't, and you can color code it. And so you can say in color code in red, the kids who need extra help and color code in yellow, the kids who want to go faster or however you want to do that. And then the technology can even lead you to which exercises go with which kids. So within five minutes, you can be giving differentiated personalized assignments. It's incredible. And how does this impact what the kids do at home, whether it be homework or interaction with the families, or how do the families help facilitate this? With our preschool kids, the beauty of what we're doing is that many of our families can't read to their children because they don't know how to read in English or Spanish. So they want to help their kids, but they don't have the ability to do that. With the iPads reading the stories out loud to the kids, they can put the child on their lap just as if they were reading a story. Before that, kids were coming to school and they hadn't been read to. So they didn't know that print moved. You read it from left to right and top to bottom. They didn't know the letters of the alphabet and parents couldn't help. Now they can. What is the advantage to all of this for the kids that don't have the gap? the kids that are coming to school prepared to learn, that that really are caught up, how do they benefit from this? They can move faster. You think about when you went to school, you're a bright kid, and you were bored a whole lot of the time. I remember sitting with the basal reader in my hand, and I was so bored by having kids slowly reading out loud, and they didn't know the words, (laughs) right? Remember? So what did we do? We skipped pages, and we read through that as quickly as we could. We hid other books in front of the books that we were supposed to be. Well, you were sneakier than I was. I just read that same book, but I read it faster. And then as you knew you were going to be called on soon, you had to fast go back and try to find the right place so the teacher wouldn't know what you were doing. With technology, you can read three grade levels above what your class is doing, 
because the technology will allow that. When I, as a teacher, went to the book room and discovered there were no more books after my bright second grade class had finished the Basil Reader, the, there were no books there. And I went to the principal and I said, well, what do I do now? I need something to keep them interested. But there are no books. All the third grade teachers have those. And he said, read the book again. I, I, you can't make that stuff up. I said, you must be kidding. How can I make them read that book again? What motivation would there be to go back and start that book? So with technology, that can happen. And in fact, I was just at the California School Boards Association conference and Sal Khan was there. And he was talking about the incredible changes that have happened to the Khan Academy because of all the money that's been infused. So before, it was kind of his scribblings as he was tutoring his cousins. But now, it's not just him teaching. There are embedded videos. There are all kinds of assessments. There are quizzes. It's all aligned to the Common Core. It's incredible. So for the parent who says, oh, you want me to help you with this algebra problem, but I haven't done algebra in 40 years. I don't remember how. You go to the Khan Academy and there are 10 great teachers on YouTube who will teach you exactly what you need to know and you can watch it six times until you feel like, now I've got it. The other place it must be having an effect is on young, even younger siblings of these kids who sort of see this technology before they're quite ready to use it and really are much more native to it. I mean, it comes even easier for them. That's true. I see it with my two granddaughters. One just started kindergarten and one is going to be four. And the four-year-old is ahead of where the six-year-old was at four because she's been watching all along. So the the other thing is they're not afraid of technology. Right. They'll stab at that iPad until it does what they want it to do. There's no sense of, oh, if I do this, maybe something bad will happen. It's like, you're going to do what I tell you to do, and I'm going to figure you out. Where else is technology becoming valuable in education today, beyond the preschool, beyond what we've been talking about in kindergarten? Well, for professional development, too. I mean, it, it's wonderful throughout the, the grades. And in Calistoga, for example, even though they started with just the iPads in kindergarten, when the kindergarten teacher paired with the sixth grade teacher and the sixth grade kids would help the kindergarten kids write their stories and the kindergarten kids helped the sixth grade kids learn how to use an iPad, the teacher decided he wanted to use a tech book. So he started using a discovery science tech book. And that was incredible because, again, it can change languages. It can change reading levels. So if I'm doing a lesson on volcanoes and in my class in the sixth grade, I have reading levels that go from the third grade to the ninth grade, each child can read that story on volcanoes at his or her own reading lexile level. How incredible is that? And are we really seeing the results on, on a broad basis, for example, here in, in, the, in Calistoga and in the county in general? Well, let's just say that before the iPads were introduced in 2011, Calistoga had been in program improvement, the dreaded federal program right. improvement, <laughs> for five years. And now, in 2014, they were not only named a California Distinguished School, they were named a National Blue Ribbon School because it took off the use of technology from that one teacher using a science tech book. He then talked to the teachers at the staff meeting about why it was so great, and a kid came in as a brand new kid to this country, and instead of the child taking a year to learn English and have any idea what was going on in the class, that kid was sitting with his iPad and headphones. He was hearing it in Spanish while the other kids were doing it in English. So 
then another teacher said, well, I want to go paperless. I'm getting Chromebooks for my class and I'm going to do everything online. So yes, it had a profound effect. So now they're a national blue ribbon school. What else had to change besides the technology? Did there need to be a change of mindset, a philosophical change? There has to be a broader context for this, it seems. Absolutely right. Uh, The culture must change. And part of it is, as teachers, we were taught to believe that we had information and we needed to give it to children. So pour that information into their heads, and then they would be able to apply it to whatever they needed in life. That has to stand on its head. Kids have to be learners. Uh, Somebody once said that the person who's working the hardest is the one who's learning the most. In all the years I taught, I was working the hardest. (laughs) And so I'm sure I learned a lot, but what was that doing for the kids who weren't getting it? And I think back to what technology could have done for some of the kids that I taught that would have been incredible. Also for kids who have special needs, kids with autism, for example, there's a wonderful story of one of our kids who used to just rock. That's all he did all day was rock. And then he got an iPad and he got something right. And when you get something right on an iPad, things happen. Fireworks go off and it says, amazing, brilliant, wonderful. And this child who had made no eye contact with anyone before looked up, made eye contact with the teacher and a huge smile lit his face. So you can't even quantify what that means. That's just beautiful. What do the families have to do, the families that these kids need to do in terms of participating in this, and and how can it help them? I think families have to be sure what it is their kids are doing with all Mm -hmm. this technology because a kid can go into his bedroom and be playing with technology for five hours and not be doing anything related to school. So I... But still learning, perhaps. Maybe. (laughs) Some things, yes. Uh, I think that parents need to be aware that there's a lot of ways to go astray in technology. And if your child is using technology for homework, it's best to have them using it in the same room that you're in so that they're not doing things that you don't want them to do. They always say that if you're having a problem with technology, turn to the 12-year-old in the room. So we've turned that on its head too. As parents, we were always the ones who knew everything. And kids were the ones that we told everything. Now we go to the kids and say, how do you do this? And how do you look this up? And how do I determine if this is correct or not correct? So kids are very empowered. And again, as somebody said today, the most important skill we can teach children is not to memorize things, because anything that you could memorize, you can look up in 10, five seconds, one second, on, you just Google it. But to teach them how to be learners, because all these jobs that are being developed are going to require skills that we can't even imagine today. So if you can't learn, if you don't know how to help yourself to learn, you're going to be in big trouble. And how does technology aid in creating critical thinking skills? How can technology play a role even in that? Um, That's an excellent question that I haven't really thought about, so this is going to come off the top of my head. But certainly um, it provides kids with very um, motivating things that they can read and then debate 
Mm-hmm. They can, it's, it's mostly what kids do with the technology. So you don't just read it and memorize it. And now you read it and you talk about it and you debate it and you discuss it. And then you stand up and you do a presentation about it and you talk to adults. I didn't stand up and talk in front of a class till I went to college and they made me take a speech class. And I was terrified because all through school, you tried to be invisible. You didn't express opinions and back them up and have to, you just read the chapter and answered the questions. So it gives kids the opportunity to really do research on things that they don't have to go to the college library and wait for the librarian to bring the book out of the stacks. They can do research right here, right now, and get five opinions and then try to synthesize them. Well, that's all the critical thinking that we're trying to teach them. We've talked a lot and, and much has been said about what's been going on at New Tech and in the high schools and the incorporation of technology there. And we've been talking a lot about preschool and kindergarten. What's going on in the middle grades, in, in, in the middle schools and the middle grades, and how is technology valuable there? Kids are using platforms like Edmodo, and they're talking to other kids in other schools, and they, they can be students across the country, across the world, and they can have pen pals. Um, kids are debating, when we do Napa County Reads, for example, they're posting uh, their thoughts about the book and about the author online, and then it, uh, they get a response from other kids in other schools. It's amazing. I've seen kids in um, upper elementary school play a game called, um, I don't know what they call it, but it's like a geography game. So two classes in different parts of the country meet each other online in Skype, and their job is to guess where the other class lives by asking yes and no questions. Do you live near an ocean? Do you live near a river? What what are your main products? Uh, And so... In one memorable game, one class asked the other, um, is your state as big as Illinois? And there was a long pause, and the kids debated the answer, and they went, no. And in the end, the answer was, they were in Illinois. Okay, but but you said no. And then they went, oh, because you weren't bigger than Illinois. You were. So again, teaching critical thinking skills there too. But it's fun. It's fun. We spent too much time being bored in school. Kids today are totally engaged. Well, for so long, there was almost a stigma attached to fun with learning. If you're having fun, that somehow it couldn't be serious. Right. I mean, that was, when we grew up, I mean, that was kind of the, the paradigm. Exactly. How has it changed the role, in a general sense, of teachers? Because it really makes teaching a different, different skill set, a different profession in some yes. ways. Yes. Um, we were lecturers and questioners. Teachers today really are facilitators, as you said. And what they're doing is they are facilitating diagnosis of what the child knows, diagnosis of what skills they need to get stronger in, and then setting them a path of how to get there by doing particular exercises or reading particular things, working on different programs, that really meet their individual needs. We used to talk about individual needs, but how could we do that? Right. We couldn't do that. We could not. I mean, and and then we always felt guilty because we knew that you, for example, wanted to read more about dinosaurs and somebody else wanted to read about insects. 
But how did a teacher then go to the library and pull out all these different books and find one on your grade level? Today, if you're on a fourth grade reading level, and I know you're interested in dinosaurs, in two seconds, I can go to a science tech book and get you a chapter on dinosaurs and then change the reading level so it meets your needs. So how, in a broader sense, both on a local level, state level, and even nationally, how does this impact the development of curriculum? I think we're still trying to follow a curriculum that will teach the standards that have been determined to be the most important, the common core, if you will. And this just gives us so many more options. Before, we would pick a textbook, and that was all the kids had to use. Right. And that textbook was out of date because it's, I don't know, a production cycle of two years, and then we keep them for seven years. So by the time you have that book, Barack Obama will never be president until five years from now. <laughs> Today, the books can update themselves instantaneously, once a week, by magic. Anything new that happens, Pluto is a planet, it isn't a planet, they can make that change in your child's book. So when your child is doing the research or the reading, they find the correct information. Plus, you have access through your technology to any book you want. You can look it up in a variety of places. You can look up on Wikipedia. You can add to Wikipedia. You can, you can create your own content and you can get content from many places and figure out what makes sense and what's most important. So we're, we're still teaching the standards, but in a much more powerful way. And the student is doing most of the work and the teacher is going around and helping where necessary and facilitating and then putting panels together and bringing in people from the outside to grade. You didn't ask me this question, but I have to tell you about NEPRIS because I'm so excited about that. Uh, today, a teacher can go online and say, hmm, I'm going to be teaching mixed fractions to my fifth grade class. And I would like to Skype with a professional, an engineer, an architect, and I want to talk about how they use mixed fractions in their work. And suddenly on a big screen is a professional interacting with your class saying, wow. well, here's how I used it when I designed this building. When I did this measurement, I had to, if you're a kid, what could be more powerful? Because the one question every kid has asked from time immemorial. What's the point? Why do I need to, to know, know this? this? When am I ever going to use this? And here's a professional telling you, I need to know this because. It's pretty remarkable. Pretty yeah. powerful. Yeah. What, where does it go from here? What, what is the cutting edge right now in all of this? The cutting edge is not using textbooks at all. Being one-to-one, -one, every class, every kid. The thing that has stopped us or slowed us down has been, A, we didn't have the broadband that we need, the Wi-Fi right. in every classroom, and the FCC has just appropriated a few billion more dollars to make that happen in schools. So that's very powerful. Second thing is every student didn't have a device, and so that's why we have our uh, rent-to-buy program so that parents can make payments every month and own the device. And three, because not every student had it at home, but today they can... Um, they can put things online that you download in school when you're in a Wi-Fi environment, and then when you go home, you can pull them up right. 
when you're not in Wi-Fi. So we may not be able then to roll up all of your responses so the teacher can see them until you're back in school. They link up the next day automatically, right? So that takes a minute. You open up your computer and whoops, there it goes. Now the teacher knows exactly how well you did. So that's, I think, where we're going. We will be one-to-one, every kid, every day, all day. And is this happening, I mean, and this this goes beyond Napa County and and, and some of the things we've been talking about, but is this happening, in your sense, throughout the country? Is there a huge gap in the country now in terms of where this is being done and not being done? And is the digital divide, in, in essence, becoming greater? I'm not sure it's becoming greater, but there certainly is a digital divide. And California's at the wrong end of it, which is so sad because we're Silicon Valley. And then you say, how can we be lagging behind many other states? But we are. Um, In terms of kids, the digital divide, I think, is shrinking because the price of devices is coming way down. The new HD Kindle for kids I saw it online for $114, and you can download all the things that you want on that, and it's also waterproof, and it comes in a hard case. You can throw it around. So the cost is way down, and you can use any device right. so that even though lots of families may not have a laptop and an iPad, they have a smartphone. That's the fastest growing market. So that will be ubiquitous soon. And well, we see in the third world, for example, where the smartphone is, is everything. It's becoming the bank, the educator, the, the whole deal. It is. And the phone. That's right. That's right. And that's where we're going. So it's moving very quickly. Education, as usual, has been behind the curve. But we're trying to catch up as fast as we can. And our state superintendent, when he came into office, said the goal was no child left offline. Unfortunately, there was no money to make that happen. But hopefully in the next four years, I hear revenue is coming in higher than anticipated. We're going to get there with the broadband. Napa County, our vintners, God bless them, uh, Napa Learns gave us that infrastructure so that we have a wide area network now. Before, what we had was more like a string of Christmas tree lights. So everything kind of went through one central place. And if one place went down, the, everybody had a problem and everything was slowed. Now we have enough redundancy in the system that teachers should not have the dreaded circle going on when they try to use their right. technology. And finally, to bring it back home, we have really, Napa specifically, has really been on the cutting edge of, of virtually everything that we're talking about. Yes. Since 1996, when we opened New Technology High School. Isn't that exciting? It is exciting. How did that happen? I mean, as you look at it retrospectively and then looking at it forward with all the things that we've been talking about here, how did little old Napa become this, this laboratory, really, of the cutting edge in terms of technology and education? Alas, I am the historian, uh, because I was there when it happened. <laughs> Present at the creation, Oh, as my they God, say. yes. Well, we had a business education partnership when I came here in 1991, and it was businesses who said, there's something wrong. We can't hire your graduates. They were very blunt. Uh, it took them a year to get that blunt. You know, we, we danced around each other for a long time, but finally they said, we have to go outside, um, and that's not what we want to do. We need a school that will encourage students to think, to be creative, to collaborate, not people who wait for us to tell them what to do. They need to solve problems on their own. They need to anticipate problems. And that was how New Technology High School got started. That's why every kid had a a desktop computer in those days 
for every subject all day, and that's why they were doing all these projects and real-world projects and presenting them to panels of adults. And that caught on like wildfire with 180 replications around the country. And that was the Gates money that came in after that and right. really took off. Yep. And that's, we are the standard bearer. I met somebody at the conference today who said, how many districts do you have in Napa County? And I said, five. And she just looked at me like I lost my mind. And she said, really? I hear about Napa all the time. How can you only have five districts? I just smiled. <laughs> A great story indeed. Napa County Superintendent of Schools, Barbara Demko, thank you so much for joining us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.